What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. I think you are going to love this conversation with East Forest. Even with me at all my podcasting awkwardness, we get into amazing topics like infinite existence, the guru within, and even our tendency as humans to worship gurus and externalize our own innate soul power and wisdom. After conducting the interview, I had the idea to ask East Forest's team, if we could include an audio clip from this incredible, exquisite album that he just did in collaboration with Ram Das. Some of you may remember the interview with Trevor Hall, where we released his track Karma in similar fashion, and they actually share the same management team. Shout out to Tim and Isabel, two of my favorite people on the planet. So I wanted to do that again. And by the way, I'll throw the links to that episode and this one in the show notes at pivotmethod.com slash 134. That's pivotmethod.com slash 134. And if you want to jump straight to the episode with Trevor Hall on karma, healing, soul maps from the stars, and his fruitful darkness song premiere, go to pivotmethod.com slash 85. Now back to one of the big focuses of this episode and conversation, Ram Das, the subject of the titled album that East Forest just launched. Ram Das is a well-known American spiritual teacher, former academic and clinical psychologist, and the author of many books, including the game-changing cornerstone book, Be Here Now. If you don't own a copy, you must. East Forest and I talk about that in the conversation. But I thought it'd be cool to give you a preview of the music itself, the tracks that he did, that he composed after interviewing Ram Dass at his home in Hawaii for a week. So actually, before I take you into our conversation, I'm going to play an excerpt from his album, Ram Dass, available wherever you listen to music. This track is called Dark Thoughts. I hope you enjoy as much as I did and that you enjoy the conversation that follows. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.
love coalesces the universe. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, East Forest and team, for letting me share that before launching into our interview on Pivot Podcast. And now back to the regularly scheduled portion of the interview. I'll give a brief bio and then we'll get into it. I am thrilled to be here today with East Forest, who describes himself as a unique bird in the Wild West aviaries of electronic music and the field of wellness. I just love that description. His music has been dubbed as shamanic, ambient, electro-acoustic pop, and the fundamental mission of his project is to create sonic architecture for others to explore their inner space. As East Forest writes on his website, it's a process of opening doorways for the listener to walk through, whether through his music's talk, music talks, retreats, or other offerings, which invites patience. Patience, while typically thought of as kryptonite in the instant gratification, hyperspeed world of music and modern life, might just be the medicine we need. So beautifully said, East Forest, welcome to the show. Thanks. Really appreciate it. I've just had the most delightful experience. I've been familiar with your music for a long time, which is exquisite, but I had never really done the deep dive into your bio and your background and your writing and more so your thinking and speaking truly from the heart and from the soul, which are themes that come up often here on the Pivot mm -hmm. podcast. And part of what we're here talking about today is your super exciting collaboration with Ram Das. So East Forest has released an album in four, four chapters. The fourth just came out and it's called Ram Das. It's a full length album that he flew to Hawaii to meet with Ram Das, who is an acclaimed spiritual teacher, just an incredible man in his own right and visionary and enlightened soul. And in June of 2018, he East Forest went to Maui to record these teachings and returned to his studio to compose a soundtrack that supports each song subject. So topics include dark thoughts, nature, the soul. And I just think this is such a, an amazing project. And thank you, East Forest. Thank you for doing this. It's such a beautiful way to capture one of the foremost thinkers of our time. Well, it, the honor was obviously all mine getting to go over there and sit with Ram Dass and be able to be a vehicle for these, these new recordings and new teachings that he wanted to put out there. Um, and just we did this is a clarification we did release the record in four chapters and it's true the last chapter has just arrived but the last chapter is essentially the entire record in one form so we kind of released it in in parts to let each of these teachings sink in that he was you know putting out there in each song each song is a subject like death or the soul and uh, but now it's all one record just called ramdas 14 songs all in one Amazing. I'm liking the strategy of releasing in chapters. What has been your experience? Have you done this before with earlier albums and how was no. it for you releasing this way? No, I haven't. Um, but as you know, the music industry has, is rapidly changing and has been since pretty much Napster and with streaming music, uh, it's really changed the way people ingest 
music, right? They, I think they expect things a bit more often and it, it might actually be less in the album format, even though I'm still a big believer in albums. And I really like the idea of sitting with a piece of work that it, it's, each song speaks to one another and there's a flow that's always been my, my vibe with all of my records. And I just thought with Ram Dass too, that was important that he, you know, there was like a field of energy in a, uh, something he's cultivating by the cumulative nature of multiple songs and how they fit together in a subject subject sort of reference one another. Yet at the same time, we wanted to be smart about uh, being good, uh, you know, serving, serving him by playing the game well and, and using the tools that are out there now, these modern distribution tools like Spotify and Tidal and Apple and Amazon, all these things. So it kept the conversation going a bit longer by stretching it out over the year, which has been great too, because we can add in other content around that, whether it's videos or talks or remixes or podcasts and, and ways to just kind of get deeper into these subjects and hopefully just connect with one another and, mm. and push forth these new ideas that he's putting out there. Yeah. Both of you have such a rich body of work. So it's incredible to see each of your individual histories and creations and then to have this collaboration is really special. How did you develop the relationship with him in the first place to make this happen? It was, he, I mean, really his work is a lot deeper and longer than mine. And like a lot of people, he was a teacher of mine in the background just by me reading his books and listening to his talks, especially I resonated with those a lot. And so that just sort of existed in my life. And I, I just had the idea of putting it to music. And I was on Raghu Marcus. He's the executive director of the whole Love Serve Remember Foundation. And there's a suite of podcasts. So I think the the kind of the head of the ship is Ram Dass's Be Here Now podcast, which some people might be familiar with. It's just talks uh, of Ram Dass, and he has lots and lots of wonderful talks from the past. And he also has these other podcasts around that. One of them is his own podcast called Mind Rolling that's more conversation and interview based. And I was on that podcast with him. And so I, I just – we got to know each other. And essentially, I just pitched him the idea later, and it was just one of those right time, right places kind of thing, which I'm not going to say I was lucky because I don't believe it was luck. It was more like I was very fortunate that I mm. followed my intuition, and Raku essentially said yes, and eventually I convinced him I needed to go over there to Maui, which is another little like mini battle. And then I we got the recordings and then I started making the music and then we started getting all these other people to play on the record. And that was a little over a year ago. So it's, it's really cool to see it come full circle. Did you, what was your entry point into Ram Dass's work? Was it be here now? The book? Yeah. Did you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's unforgettable yeah. that book. So if, if someone, if you're listening and you have not, if you don't own this book, do it. It's it's really something you can tell it's just from another place and just the, the style and the drawings and the insights. Um, do you remember where you were or how old when you discovered that book? I don't. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people's cool stories where like they're in a bookstore and it fell off the shelf. I've heard that story like more than once. Um, but I, I don't even know if book does it justice because right. it's kind of like a mixture of it is a book. Yes, you can read it, but you can read it probably in about an hour or so. But it's all pictures and, it is, and it's like this old school um, collage type picture thing. I mean, it, I, it's still in print. I still send it to people and people who worked on this record like the graphic designer or like a featured artist who's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Ram Dass. I'm like, have you read Be Here Now? And they're like, I think so. And I would immediately go to Amazon and mail them one because I'm like, that's, we got to start there before we even start working on its record, you know? And it's, it's just a, that, that book is a total doorway for a lot of folks. And I know it was for me when I first picked it up and I, I don't quite remember when it was, but I just remember it was early on and it has sort of this universal message in it that you can interpret in, in sort of your own way. It's very approachable, uh, but very profound in how it kind of gets right to the, the source of uh, the, the message of sort of like, you know, the big questions of why we're here. 
Yes, absolutely. Does it in a, with a sense of poetry, but it also does it in a sense of, uh, I don't know, imagery too. It's just really cool. Yeah, the imagery is what's so surprising about it. And sometimes, you know, there's so much self-help became this huge industry in the years since the book came out, but especially thinking about it at the time it was released in 1971, people were not really talking about these concepts in these ways. And, and then you see the imagery and the imagery it is because it's kind of posters. They almost remind me mm -hmm. of like 1969 or 1970 when, you know, it came out 71 posters and the imagery sort of cuts through the mind and thinking and goes straight to another place within, within, I'll speak for myself, within me, where you look at an image and the image conveys so much more than just words on a page can do. That's true. Yeah. It's kind of multi-level like that for sure. Like those words are very profound and then the imagery just, it sort of adds this whole other layer. It's, yeah, exactly. What was important to you about recording these interviews with him in person? Well, the biggest thing was I really felt intuitively that I wanted to hear what Ramdas had to say about now, now. Like I wanted it to be relevant to today and not something he said 40 years ago. And I also think we don't always honor wisdom or know how to really cultivate it or use it in today's culture. And this was a great opportunity. You know, he's 88 years old. And he's sort of locked behind this aphasia where it's challenging for him to connect the thought he's having to words, but his thoughts are all there. But the, the result when you're listening to him is maybe like, oh, he's not all there. But through this technology of just being able to record him and put him into music, the pause has now become an asset. They're no longer a distraction because he has a phrase and then there's a musical riff and then he has another phrase. You don't think about them. And so he comes alive all of a sudden inside these songs and you're hearing him as he is today, but you might be used to this sort of stilted speech. But now it's just like he's just talking. And not only is he talking, but he's talking with like unbelievable mastery and poetry and humor. And it's, it's, it's like he it's like an awakening almost. And so it, it really takes someone's wisdom that's locked a bit behind a certain firewall and just brings it to life. And he really has something to say. And he really has an incredible amount of talent, obviously, and uh, experience. And I just felt this would be a great opportunity to lean into that. And I feel like that's kind of the whole story of the record is that it's Ram Dass today at 88 talking about a crisis that we're in as a civilization and uh, these sort of universal uh, teachings and themes as a way of navigating that to me seems critical. Otherwise, it's it's to me, I don't want to make a record that's sort of like a, a puff piece or a fluff thing. No, that's not, that's never been who you are. I don't see that. I don't think even if you tried that that would happen. But what I love is that you have such a commitment to collective You You say in the video on your website, it's easy to tune out, but I'm asking people to tune in. We're all co-conspirators mm -hmm. in waking up. And there's a song, uh, please pass the bliss. And you quote Ram Dass and, and this is just an, one example of one line, but he says, the soul takes birth, takes incarnation to learn. Our perception of the soul is love of everyone by inhabiting the soul. And yeah. it's in our times, as you mentioned, like this message is so lost, you know, where there's a real challenge at the moment. Um, and this is something I really believe in as well, that our souls are here to live and learn and love ultimately to love. And we see so much division and conflict and chaos and, um, and it's, it's challenging. I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. Uh, it's so easy to get sucked into all that and then create more hate and criticism and negativity. And so it's really interesting to try to be love in an environment that, um, where we just see so many examples of, of division. And, um, 
I wonder if what shifted for you. So after that week with Ram Das, um, I'd, I'd love to hear what shifted for you, anything that you weren't expecting. And then also your process around composing to these such powerful, um, I, I, I was, I can't really call them lyrics, but statements from the interviews and just how you tapped into something deep within you to even compose the tracks that go around this um, beautiful soul, beautiful mind of our time. Sure. Um, I think what made it work the best for me is the more I could kind of trust in the larger process and not try to manhandle every detail in the process. So even, I guess another reason I wanted to go over there and record him was so I wasn't just digging through archives and choosing what phrase, when, you know, what to put on the record. I felt like I wanted to hand that over to something larger than myself a bit. So whatever I'm sort of given in that conversation is what I have to use. Those are the colors I have to paint with as a composer, so to speak. And that felt right. But the, the thing that was surprising to me was you know, I, I think I, before I went into it, when I had the idea and I was all the, all the way up until I sat down with him, I think there was a bit of confidence on my part that I'm like, Oh, I, I I'm the guy to do this and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to use this mic and then I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And like, sort of like just sort of sheer will. And I, I, I know I can do that. And when I got there, I suddenly realized that like all these stories I'd heard about Maharaji, his guru, or I should say the idea of a guru itself, the idea that I'm a guru, we're all a guru, or the guru is love. You can get into this whole metaphysical, uh, philosophical to, you know, conversation about what a guru is. But nonetheless, I realized that all those stories about his relationship to Maharaji was the same about my relationship to Maharaji, which I thought I didn't have one. <laughs> I was like, I'm just a guy who reads stories about this stuff. Or like, but all of a sudden I was looking at Ramdas in his eyes. I'm like, how the hell did I get here sitting across from him? Like, this is crazy. And then I saw the picture of Maharaji next to him laughing over his shoulder. And it sort of all hit me in that moment. That's like me. I'm not in like control of this. <laughs> this isn't my, I'm not some, person who's just like, oh, I just, you know, I did this and I did that and here I am and now I'm going to manhandle this thing. And no, no, no. I was like, I am by the grace of the universe. I'm in this thing, this flow, and I'm just a part of it. And we're all part of that. We're all part of this tapestry and weaving. And, and Ramdas was kind of looking at me, sort of nodding and smiling. And I felt like he was just echoing what I was feeling. And it really allowed me to let go and to be more of service and so my job being trying to trust my own intuition and listen to those voices of excitement as sort of signposts to say, yes, go that way. Now you need to, yes, you need to, you do this thing as opposed to me feeling like the isolated sense of myself from my brain and my ego is making every decision and quote unquote controlling this process. And that was a real, um, it's a challenging thing to do sometimes to give yourself over to a sense of trust or faith. Uh, but I also found a liberation in that. So uh, that was probably the biggest surprise that mm. came from the process. I love it. It's It strikes me like for you, music in general is, is that is like surrendering to something bigger than yourself. Um, but especially in this collaboration, I just love the, the picturing you looking over and seeing Maharishi like laughing and, and there's this Thomas Merton quote that it's from his very famous memoir, the many, I think it's the many storied mountain. I'll have to look it up and I'm just going to paraphrase the quote, but I, I never forgot it. The concept, which he, he got this message. He was a, a monk, um, got this message that his soul, he would transcend time. He would transcend his physical form in, in this lifetime. And Thomas Merton was not this like household name at the time that he became a monk. And he just sort of simply lived and wrote about his life. And he died early. He died at a, in a trip to Thailand, but 
it's true. Like that sort of prophecy came true, which was his being continued to live on, um, transcend the time that he actually lived on the earth to go on to sell millions of copies of that book. So that message he got really was a prophecy. And it just strikes Mm -hmm. me as very similar with the teachings, um, that you've described and we're talking about and these influential figures that, that are present somehow and that you can have a relationship with him as well, even here and now. Yeah. And I don't know, it gets even deeper. It's like, there's, there's no difference between what that being or guru represents and yourself. Like you are that thing too. And it just starts to break down more and more walls uh, Maharaji's really had th- two to three major teachings, not even major s- teachings, period. And they were love everyone, hmm. tell the truth, serve everyone. And they're very simple, not easy, right? And each one of those is is a doorway into larger conversations about what, what you know, sort of like, what does it really mean to tell the truth? Um on a simple level, we know what that means, but what does it mean maybe internally to myself or is there even a truth? And then you get into all these ideas, but you know, that was it. And the record discusses that as sort of like, well, that's the, that's the methodology in a sense. But then it it talks about all these other like things that might come up like, well, how do we do that? Okay. There's the, he has this mantra, the I am loving awareness meditation mantra. And that's another song. And it's like, well, this is how he does it. This is how he gets into that space of soul and love. Um, what about I'm afraid of dying, you know, and what about this boundary condition of death? Well, there's a song where we talk about that. How do we approach death? And then, you know, there's things that are more sort of celebratory or, or jubilant where he talks about, um, you know, some other like his first experience with psilocybin and, and how that opened the spiritual doorway for him and put him on this path. So it's a celebration of his life for sure. And his own path, but also full of through kind of those marks of his own life were hopefully seen kind of picking up pathways for ourselves that might work for us. Mm. Yeah. I love how, you know, you've talked about music as medicine, and this certainly would would fit that as path paths to pick up. I love how succinctly you put Maharishi's teachings of um, love everyone, tell the truth, serve everyone. Yeah. By the way, I think Maharishi, Maharishi and Maharaji are yeah. two different. They're okay. different words for different people. But That's I see Maharaji I just means. I think it's like the name of like a king guru. It, his name was Neem Karoli Baba, but I think like the colloquial term that okay. Ramdas would say was Maharaji. Maharaji. And I think the Maharishi, I'm not an expert in this, is like a, is like the Beatles guru, but he's the similar, it's another name for the same type of thing. A guy I, who's like a spiritual guru or something like that. That's why I'm getting confused. <laughs> so sorry to everyone listening. Pardon my error, Maharaji. Not, because I was just got to listen to James Altucher interviewing Mike Love, who was the lead oh. singer of the Beach Boys. And this was just two days ago. And he was talk, talking about learning meditation from Maharishi. And yeah. so I just, my brain in this moment while interviewing you, I'm like, the word keeps swapping itself out. <laughs> Well, it's like different people, but actually not different people. If you want to go that right. way, right, <laughs> it's, right, it's the right. same thing. Like we get really yeah. metaphysical. So those yes, Indian mystics, you. you know, I yeah. know. I mean, it's so horrible. Like I should be getting it right, but it was so recent that I heard him talking about his meditation teacher, Maharishi. And so thank you for correcting me. And like, well, hey, I, I didn't know audio. any of this stuff over a year ago. I was like, who? Yeah. So, yeah, you also have a podcast, which is really exciting. It's called. The 10 laws, or do you call it 10 laws? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> 10 laws podcast with these forests. And it's kind of like, um, sort of like this, it's conversation based, but I also have, I put out some guided meditations from time to time and some, some music cuts from time to time. Yeah, it's such a great, <laughs> you all have to know that before we started hitting record, this is the perk of interviewing a musician that East Forest, he was giving me feedback, like the gain's a little high. You might need to turn the gain down <laughs> on your mic. <laughs> like, these are things I just don't hear and don't really know how to fix. Like as much as I've self-taught and sort of bootstrapped this podcast and 
even if you pass off a file to an audio editor, if it doesn't get captured cleanly, it's still no good. So I'm so grateful. That yes. Of course you yes. Happen to that's be a so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a cool pivot as well from doing music to creating a podcast and, and combining your love of music, people, these topics of conversation, meditation, and then music cuts. Like you're the perfect person to have a podcast. Well, I mean, I, I like you, I can, I can tell you enjoy this, right? I mean, it's fun. I like yeah. talking to people and I like talking about things. And I, I kind of think that I, I'm interested in the different ways that people can sort of go internally. And I believe that when we go inside, ultimately, most of our answers are, are, are waiting for us there by peeling away the onion and that the change we're looking to see in ourselves and in the world in particular only comes from an inside out approach. You know, it comes from the individual out, not from the top down. And so I, I'm just looking for giving people different opportunities for what maybe works for them. For some, it might be the music. For some, it might be talking and through a podcast. And for some, it might be a retreat in person. So I'm just looking for different types of offerings because I enjoy all these things. Mm -hmm. But I also um, want to build sort of a, a diversity of doorways for folks to walk in. And so many of us probably combine all those methods that you described. You mentioned mm -hmm. something that I wanted to come back to, which is the idea of a guru. And I'm with you. I really strongly, and I had to make this transition myself from constantly seeking answers and wisdom outside of me. I've read hundreds of books mm -hmm. <laughs> in that seeker's journey. And then there came a point where I realized it's here now. It's already within. I, and as you put it so well just now, that the wisdom comes from the inside out. And yet, I've seen it in myself and others. It can be so tempting to want to have a guru and find a guru. And there are many people today who will say, my guru is so-and-so. And I'm curious where you find that balance and where you have found it and how you've navigated even along that spectrum. Because sometimes we get into, it tips into guru worship where we externalize our own wisdom onto another person and we project and we lift them up and we think they have something we don't and they have wisdom we don't. And then that embodying love and soul and wisdom doesn't happen because we continue looking for that wisdom on the outside. And yet at the same time, we know that there are enlightened masters walking this earth like Ram Das who who are so powerful to listen to and take guidance from. So I'd just love to hear your journey around that conversation and even what came up with Ram Das around the idea of a guru. Yeah, that's a, that's a deep one. It's, it's so nuanced. I mean, to be honest, my edge with this is one that I think about a lot. And I think a lot of times I'm getting wrapped up and stuck on words and semantics for myself because the idea of guru, I think what that word, if you break it down, it sort of means like one who brings light or sort of revelation or uncovering. So in that sense, it's just another being who is sort of taking the veil off for you or helping you. So we could – the word is very loaded for us in the West, naturally so, especially for the American mindset where we don't want to give – we don't want to be hoodwinked and we don't want the snake oil coming our way. And we certainly have plenty of that because there are a lot of charlatans out there and there are people putting out a lot of garbage and they, they, but they say they know, right. And especially in the wellness world. So I think it's right for people to be skeptical. Um, that being said, we're at a time where I don't believe we need gurus anymore. Uh, we have infinite information in our pocket typically with her and we can we can learn what we need to learn and it's if anything there's too much information but our job is to sort of decipher that and decide what we want to do with it now when i say sort of cavalierly that we don't need gurus i also will say that uh you are a guru and the idea of guru is sort of a universal thing. And at the same time, there are gurus and it's like, what the hell does all that mean? It's like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's, it's the mystery, it's poetry. And I think that, 
you know, the, these things also come to shape and form inside cultural context. And so inside India, that was part of a spiritual lineage and it was part and still is part of how things go over there. Maybe it's different for us. If that resonates for you, you know, take what works for you. Um, I have pictures of Neem Karoli Baba all over the house here. And at, I have this, you know, it's a, I have a giant painting that we had done for the record. It's the first thing I see in the morning on the wall and the last thing I see going to bed at night. And I feel like that painting communicates with me and I can ask it questions. I feel like the eyes look at me in different ways and all that stuff. Some people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, that's just crazy talk. But what is actually happening for me, you know, <laughs> I kind of sense it as like me is sort of like meditation and your intuition. I'm, I'm sort of communicating with myself, but also something larger than myself, but that's me too. It's just a way to get in touch. And I, what I like about Neem Karoli Baba is that he was, a, he was a man and he's just someone who apparently, you know, from all the, if you read a book like love everyone, which is just stories about people with Maharaji, like their own stories, and it's just miracle story after miracle story. And those stories are kind of cheating in a way because they're so tasty. They're like, oh, my God, it's great. That's proof. He did a miracle. He read as this guy's mind or he, he did that over and over and over again. We just read their minds and he just knew everything about you. Or, or that, there's a song on the record called A Miracle about Ramdas meeting Maharaji for the first time. And it's sort of going through what I'm saying. Like he heard about this guy. Someone was going to take him. It was actually – um. Uh, uh, Bhagavan Das. They just met. And he's like, I'm going to go see my guru, Bhagavan Das said, up in the hills. You want to come? And Ram Das was like, sure, why the hell not? I don't believe in gurus, but I'll check this out. And they went up there and Ram Das, you know, just been fired from Harvard, but he's a Harvard PhD. You know, he's got a, he's a psychologist and he's PhDs and he knows all about this stuff. And he sees a white, a guy in a field with a blanket over his shoulder and a group of 20 or so people all dressed in white sitting around him. And he immediately said, that's a cult. I want nothing to do with this before he'd even walked up to the group. And before he had arrived a couple nights before on their way to see the guru, they had stopped at a house up in the, in the mountains. And in the middle of the night, Ramdas had gone out just to pee outside and he was outside looking up the stars. And he had this really beautiful moment where he's thinking about his mother his mother had died recently and he was just having this, a touched moment thinking about his mother and it was a really powerful moment for him. His mother had died of spleen cancer, I believe, or something like that. And so anyway, going back to the field with the guru sitting there, he was standing there thinking of these things and the guru points to him and he just says, you, you were thinking about your mother last night. And Ramdas is like, what? <laughs> and then he says, she died of her spleen. And he's like, excuse me? And then he's like, is this a trick? And then the next thing, this is what really hit him. He said that he was looking at him in such a way that he had never been looked at before. That was just unconditional love from this total stranger. And he says, I've never experienced unconditional love before. And then he said, wait a minute, this guy can read my mind. Well, I don't want him to read my mind. I mean, there's all this junk in my mind that I'm thinking right now and that I did think. I just thought he was a fake and I'm embarrassed that he, he knows everything about me now. I, I can feel it. I can tell. But he's loving me unconditionally. What? And then that just broke his heart open. And then he said, if he can do that, I can do that. And then he suddenly said, and through that, I all of a sudden realized how I am loving. I can love everyone too. And then the next level and the final level was he said, I realized I can love myself. He said from then on, my whole life was just love, 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 love. That doesn't mean he didn't fall out of that. Of course he did over and over again. But that, the power of meeting a being that was so open, they would say there was nothing there. And they'd sing songs and they'd just chill and ask questions. And But his only teachings was love everyone, tell the truth, serve everyone. That was it. And it was this universality of it. So the fact that that guy existed not too long ago, he died in the early 70s, 
Um, and then I can meet people like Ram Das or Christian Das or Raghu or all these other people who I've met in the Sangha of Ram Das's world. They all knew him firsthand and have their own stories. It feels very real to me and it feels very firsthand. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just something kind of exciting and salient and something that I can lean into a little bit more. And I said, you know what, what the hell? I, I'll give it a shot too, uh, not to give my power over, but just to say, love me too, if that, if you, and I just want to, I just want to be in a relationship to myself in that way. So the guru in a sense is a mirror Mm. and I am the first one to say, I don't want to give my power over something. I don't, I, I, I've done that all my life. I grew up sort of an atheist and agnostic and I tried Christianity and I tried Buddhism. I tried all sorts of different things. Plant and plant medicines for me is what woke me up the most because suddenly it was a felt experience of my own where there was nothing I could argue with. There was no one saying anything. It was just like, oh my God, I'm being, I'm literally, it was like the plant medicine was the guru sort of opening things up for me where I could just see and I could feel. I have my own revelation. And I come, you come back and it's sort of like now I'm realizing that all of these things are just uh, words and symbols painting around. Uh, the mystery and it's a mystery for a reason like that's it's sort of like the design of the opera incarnation so that we can do the work that we're here to do and there is no answer there's no me saying so it's just this or it's just that it's the mystery it's beyond that boundary condition Um, and that's why it's so frustrating and that's why there are infinite forms of answers and people and approaches because they're all just singing around the center in a sense but mm. the mystery has no edge oh so good thank you for sharing that story and recounting it for us and i love that line the mystery has no edge yeah that came and up that- from a conversation with eric davis the other day who's a sort of a techno philosopher when we were on my podcast and I, i've just been thinking a lot about that phrase well, it's interesting too, because in your about, about video on the website, you say you want to feel inspired. You want to feel infinite. Mm-hmm. So that concept of infinite and being infinite also relates to mystery has no edge. And, um, I can relate to your background. Cause I also kind of grew up in my, definitely in my twenties, like staunch atheist, just didn't believe in anything. When you die, you're dead. This was my mindset. Mm-hmm. Very like Silicon Valley tech, uh, 3d world. Um, and I know plant medicine has played a big role for you and you even have album, an album that is for that journey, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love the way you kind of described it. And this is even in pivot, which I wrote as a career in business book, but I kind of snuck in the spirituality underneath and there were every chapter had pivot paradoxes because I was fascinated by this idea that you just can't even give advice on some level because everything is a paradox and, the same. Now I forget who said the quote. (laughs) Yeah, I forget. There's a really powerful quote. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes, but that it's like the ability being human means able to hold a paradox. And yes, it's true with guruship as well, that we can develop these relationships. We can learn from others and at the same time, not give our power away. And hold both at the same time. To be human is a paradox. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's again, (laughs) the same thing. It's like, yeah, we, and that's, I think, I think what makes us unique is that we hold all these things at once. Like we hold what it means to be physical form, like a rock and uh, reacting to the environment like a plant. And we hold all the consciousness of an animal and we are animals, right? And so our base forms, our sexuality and needs and desires and eating and all this stuff. But then you keep going up in the octaves of consciousness and we hold the ability to be creative and to create. And we do art and we have this sense of humor. And then next up from there, we have this ability for like brotherly love and union. And it's like we have all of that in one system. I mean, that's that to me, that right. sounds like a tough gig. You know, that's like, wow, that's that's complex. And you're like, hell yeah, it's complex. Like that's a lot to hold at once. But that's what makes us special. Right. I, I think that's, you know, if you look around, I don't think we're the pinnacle or something like that. But that's what makes this sort of spaceship that we're in space suit uh, unique. <laughs> 
Yes. I've been thinking of it as the soul is infinite. And almost for me, I don't really have a fear of death because I just feel that my soul will go on. And when I die, that's my time. Um, but of course, I'm happy to be living every day that I am here. So I'm not inviting it. But at the same time, I feel I feel we're here to play the human game, that it's a game. And we, we do have to take it seriously, like feed ourselves and have a roof over our head. But it's we're also meant to have fun with it. We're meant to learn. We're meant to it's a it's not meant to be. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to put it without making light of, of also the terrible things that happen to humanity and that we do to each other. But but I just I do think that that's the human game is is managing the day to day realities of living and even money. Money is a story. Money is energy. Money is um, it's very abstract. And it is a, how much you have or how much you don't. It's like we it's such a has powerful grip on our attachments. But at the same time, so it's almost like, yes, we do need a certain amount of money as currency to live in the world. And then how do we detach from an obsession with it? And especially in American culture. Yeah. I, I sometimes try to wrap my head around this stuff, which is futile. But then I think like, okay, <laughs> if I were to design, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this thing, create souls. So that, you know, if God was everything, it needed to know what it was not so it could know what it is as a way of just experiencing mm. itself. Well, how would you do that? Well, you'd create a, you have to create a world, a universe, and what's it going to be like? Well, why wouldn't it be? I mean, could you think of anything richer than the way it is? And I mean, as horrible as things are and as amazing as things can be, everything in between, I, I can't think of anything more profound or intense than that. And why wouldn't it be that way? Because mm -hmm. it would be everything. It would be every color and nuance of possible experience. And then we look out into the universe and there's like, you know, you know, over trillions of stars and planets out there. I know. And maybe even trillions of universes if we See, live in a multiverse. And it's like, yeah, that's the way it would be. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I'm, I'm happy we've reached this point in our conversation of now going into the multiverse and uh, expanding. And we shot our awareness, the awareness on this call all the way out to the farthest reaches. This is great. That's all true. I mean, that's not, that's just crazy. Like, yeah. that's not even like an idea. It's like, we can just look with optical telescopes right. and be like, okay, there's, right. um, wow, there's trillions of other things going on out there and we have no clue what's going on out there. It's, it's, it's practically incomprehensible. And I love the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote and sentiment that it's like, I think he either said brilliance or innovation lies at the edge of our ignorance. And I love that because it's like, whatever ideas we have about ourselves and the world things work and how things are. And even the obsession that we have in American culture about science and what can be proven. And if it can't be proven, it's illegitimate somehow, but it's like, that's, those are the edges of our ignorance as well. And innovation has always been one step beyond that one step beyond that. Yeah. There's, there's sort of a concrescence, a coming together of, uh, science and, um, creativity in a way. And uh, I would say there's fault on both the edges of both where yes, absolutely the new age movement is full of it, but it doesn't mean that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know? um, and there's a middle ground there that I think is really interesting and really beautiful. And uh, that I feel like seems to be the edge of some of our future, not just um, on the, in the scientific paradigm, but politically and culturally it's sort of like it's sort of coming together from these polarities and ex extremes of finding that common ground and that's something i've always wanted to do with music too is that i mean no doubt i'm on the edges of of just explicitly talking about some of these things that might be branded as new age but it's like God damn, I want to make music that's better than most new age you know i'm not trying to make quote new age music but just because oh, no, i no. But just because I, you know, we're, there's songs, um, that talk about literally in this album, like the soul, okay, I guess it is, that's the category now it's going to be in, but 
it doesn't mean it can't live in a broader world where it touches uh, people in a way that's still sophisticated or the music is interesting on its own. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not, um, we can, we can do better. And I, I think that's something that people could fight for harder. It's like this, the ideas could be smarter and, and the approaches could be smarter and we can, we can do things in a cooler way, uh, because we can, we don't have to settle for like, um, the easy wide brush with some of our ideas and comments in, in these, in these realms in the new age and wellness world. Absolutely. And I've always thought of you as someone who's pushing those boundaries and, and doing this with incredible thought and sophistication and soulfulness and, and just a connection to something greater than yourself. So if, if anyone is getting this balance right, it's you. And thank you so much, East Forest, for being here and for this conversation and for this album, Ram Das, that you've put together. It's so incredible. I encourage everybody to go check it out. It's on Spotify. And um, maybe you can just tell us where else people can find Ram Das, if it be on Spotify sure. and where they can find and connect with you as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying those sweet things. That's very nice. Um, the album is available wherever you listen to music digitally. So it should be on Spotify and Apple and all the other services. Uh, it's, it's just called Ramdas and you can find it on the East Forest page or Ramdas's uh, profiles as well. And then we also have a double vinyl of the record with all the lyrics. It's really beautiful. And of course we have a CD. Those are available at eastforest.org. There's a store there where you can purchase those and those help support the Love Serve Remember Foundation as well. And eastforest.org, um, you know, that's where if, that's kind of obviously the place you can get all the information about tour dates and retreats and podcasts and all that stuff. But you can find these things uh, anywhere else you like to find them. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, whatever your thing is. Um, <laughs> it's not too hard to find. You do a great East job Forest or East Forest music, yeah. Yes. And I encourage you as well. Check out his awesome podcast, 10 Laws with East Force. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a real joy. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always 